Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 127th program in this series. In the previous message, I was in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, I was speaking about Jesus appearing to the disciples. This was the first time that he saw them after he resurrected from the dead. And I explained in the previous message that he spoke about four different things. The first thing that he spoke about was the subject of peace. He said, peace be with you, peace to you. He wanted them to feel at peace. Another thing that he spoke to them about was about being sent. He told them that he was sending them just as God had sent him. As God sent him, he was sending them. And what was he sending them to do? He was sending them to tell the truth, to proclaim the truth to people. And there were two things that he emphasized with regards to the truth. The first thing that he spoke to them about was receiving the Holy Spirit that this was so profound that he took a deep breath over this one before he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was him taking a deep breath. I explained this in the previous message, that there is a translational challenge where many translations say that he breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit as if he was breathing the Holy Spirit upon them, but that was not what was happening. A better translation of this would be to say that he took a deep breath and told them, now, finally, after all these years, thousands of years, I explained this in the previous message, now there is the opportunity for people to receive the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam and Eve. Receive the Holy Spirit. This was definitely something that he would want the disciples to go out and tell people about, about the receiving of the Holy Spirit so that people can be made spiritually alive, made into a new creation, a child of God. And then the fourth thing that he spoke to them about was the subject of forgiveness. And I explained in the previous message that this was also a translational challenge, that the forgiveness that he spoke of was a forgiveness that they had already received. That in verse 23, when it says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. He was speaking about this in the past tense, that this is a translational discrepancy and that he was encouraging the disciples to go and tell people about the forgiveness that they already have and that the sins that are retained, they have already been retained in the sense that there is already a resolution for these sins. When Jesus said it in this way, what he effectively told them was, listen, if you don't go out and tell people about the forgiveness that they have because of what Jesus did, then it will be as if they have not been forgiven. It will be as if their sins are still held against them. But the real message from verse 23 is that the sin issue is over. They have been forgiven 
They are retained. The important thing to understand from this is that there is a resolution and that he wants them to go out and tell people that the sin issue is over. And this has been a real struggle for the church ever since, because the predominant teaching that has been presented by people going out into the world telling people about Jesus has been about the sin issue not really being resolved. Now, I understand that when people present the gospel, they normally speak of the sin issue as something that has been resolved. That's not the problem. The problem is what they say afterwards, what they say in the context of discipleship, what they say in all the sermons that people will listen to for the rest of their lives. These sermons are, in general, they are littered with all kinds of things that give people the indication that, no, the sin issue really isn't over. And there has been an abundance of people throughout the history of the church who have, in effect, been trying very hard to keep sin alive, to keep the subject of sin alive, to keep it going. But in the midst of all of that, there have always been some people who have been around, who have been speaking about the complete forgiveness of sins. And this is something that I am doing in this time period in history as I am alive When I have opportunities to speak with people, I do tell them about the complete forgiveness of sins, about the restoration of the Holy Spirit, about being sent, and about having the peace of God, that God wants us to live in peace. Now, in verse 24, John said, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, you have to wonder about this. Why was it that Jesus came at a time that Thomas wasn't there? I would think that Jesus would know that Thomas was not there. Did Jesus just sort of show up and say, Oh gosh, did I come at a bad time? Where's Thomas? I personally have the conviction that this was intentional. That Jesus was not caught by surprise and realized that Thomas wasn't there. But he decided, he made a decision to come when he knew that Thomas wasn't there. And looking at the following verses and seeing the struggle that Thomas was having, I think that this was intentional in order to reach out to Thomas in a way that was different from the way that he reached out to the other disciples. And this provides us with something to understand about our God today. But when Thomas then returned and was there with his friends, with the other disciples, they told him, Jesus was here. He showed up. And how do you suppose this would make Thomas feel? Thomas would probably feel rejected. He would feel as if he really missed out. Or maybe the disciples were being dishonest with him. That could also be a possibility. He may have felt that they were being dishonest with them, or there could be a combination of him feeling like he was left out and he did not want to cooperate with them telling him that Jesus had arrived because he felt bad, because he would possibly feel rejected in some ways. These are some possibilities. We don't know for sure, but looking at his behavior, I think that this is reasonable to consider, that Thomas really did feel left out. How would you feel if you were Thomas and you had left to go do something or maybe to go get some supplies, some things that everybody needed? 
You went out to go do that. You put yourself at risk going out there among the people who were probably looking for the disciples because of the confusion over the body of Jesus missing, being missing, because somebody needs to be blamed for Jesus being gone. The disciples would be the people to blame. They would say that the disciples took the body of Jesus in order to claim that he resurrected from the dead and continue the potential sedition that Jesus was murdered over. So there was a lot of risk involved to go out into the public, and this is what Thomas was doing. He comes back and he finds out that Jesus showed up, and now he's gone. I would expect that Thomas would feel offended, that he would feel violated. And in his defensive posture for being violated in this way, he could very well deny that Jesus showed up at all. Perhaps if he denied strongly enough, maybe Jesus will come back and say, oh gosh, Thomas, I'm so sorry. Here you go. Here I am. I apologize. Please forgive me because I didn't show up when you were here. How inconsiderate of me. Not only that, but I didn't stay until you came back. I left before you came back. This could very well be a way of Thomas trying to provoke Jesus into coming back by just simply saying, well, it didn't happen. I deny it. I don't think it really happened. These are some possibilities that could be represented by the attitude that Thomas has. In verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This does give me the impression that he's defending himself as a person. He's being defensive because he has been violated. Violated in the sense that he missed out. That Jesus didn't show himself to him. And so he's going to up the demand a little bit and say, not only am I expecting to see him, but you had better let me put my finger in his hands and on his side. I want to feel the damage that was done to him physically through that crucifixion. Then, then I'll believe. I get the sense that he is expressing some defensiveness in response to him probably feeling rejected. But there is a lot more that could be behind this than just the fact that he missed out on Jesus showing up. He was told all these years that Jesus was the Messiah, that he is the messianic king, that the kingdom of God has come. We expect that to be reestablished. There were some beliefs concerning the Messiah. And as I explained in the previous messages, when Jesus died, this was not part of the description of the Messiah in the popular sense. This is not what the disciples expected. This is definitely not the way they expected things to be. If Thomas had these convictions, as I expect he did, he has now discovered that the way he thought things should be are definitely not the way things are. Now, is he going to just take the position that he was confused, that he misunderstood, that he would like to be corrected? That's not normally how people respond to circumstances like this. 
The normal response to the discovery that the way things are are not the way you think things should be is to find someone to blame. And in this case, it would be to say that someone was being dishonest with him, that he was lied to, that the idea of the Messiah and what he would do was not real. Thomas could easily feel as if he was deceived, that people were being dishonest with him, either with regards to what the Messiah was really going to do, or that maybe Jesus was not even the Messiah, that this also could have been a lie, that he was being deceived, he was being lied to, and now it's obvious because where is he? He's dead. That's where he is. We don't know where his body is right now, but so what? He's still dead. This is what Thomas could be thinking. This is how he could be feeling. And so now they're going to tell him this? Oh, yeah, Jesus just showed up. He has clearly resurrected from the dead. He was here. Oh, sorry, you were out of the room. You were off doing other things, putting yourself at risk, considering all that has happened. So we're going to tell you this now. Is Thomas going to fall for it? He could feel as if he fell for it before. He fell for the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. He fell for the idea of the Messianic King. Well, where's the Messianic Kingdom? It's not here. Instead, we're hiding out, afraid of many of the other Jews out there who might decide to try to find some way to extort the Romans into murdering us just like they extorted the Romans into murdering Jesus. Then what? What are we going to do now? So out of all of this, out of all of this disappointment, out of all of this concern that he was deceived, that he was lied to, now he says, I'll tell you what, you want me to believe something now? You want me to believe in Jesus now after all that we have been through and here we are hiding out and afraid. You want me to believe this? I'll tell you what. This is what I'm going to require now. Before, I just walked by faith. I just believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the king, that the kingdom of God was upon us. All right, well, now you want me to believe that he's even alive at all? These are my requirements. You are going to have to fulfill my demands or forget it. You're my friends, but this is not going to be a part of our relationship anymore. I'm not going to believe in this Jesus being the Messiah nonsense anymore. This is what Thomas was expressing. So do you think that maybe Jesus had a moment of panic and thought, oh gosh, I better show up right away. I better show up and show myself to my friend Thomas because he doesn't believe I better get in there or there could be some new problems and how am I going to reach him later? You know, the longer I take, the worse that this could get. Is that what Jesus was thinking? Apparently not, because when you go to the next verse, verse 26... It says, and after eight days, eight days later, Jesus waited eight days before showing up again. He gave Thomas some time to really think about what he had to say, the position that he was taking. He gave Thomas an opportunity to think about his 
importance. Just how important is Thomas really? Who does Thomas think he is to make a demand of God? Really? To demand that he show up and say, look, I'm not going to believe in you unless you do what I demand. And I can just imagine Jesus having a moment of humor when it comes to that, thinking, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a week to think about this. Who do you really think you are? to demand that God show himself to you so that you believe. You are to believe because it's true, because the evidence is enough. It may not be proof, but there is enough to show that it is true. There is enough to convict you in your spirit and in your soul that you know that there is a God and you know that Jesus is the Messiah. And you know that even though you don't know a lot of things, you know that, and you know that he is trustworthy, and that if there is something that you don't understand, that doesn't say that there's something wrong with God. That says that there is probably something wrong with you, and that you had better consider the things that he has already showed you, and you had better believe the truth that he reveals. He told you that he was going to go away. He went away. There you go. And that he would come back. And he did. And even though you didn't get to see it, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And who do you think you are to declare that you're so self-important that Jesus should show up when you are there? Jesus gave Thomas a good week to think about these things so that when he showed up, Jesus had clearly given Thomas enough time to think about his attitude and to think about the things that he had to say and to give him an opportunity to repent. But it says in verse 26, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you, which is good. Otherwise, they could have been terrified by Jesus showing up like this. In verse 27, then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. Now, Jesus had given him enough time to think about this, and he gave him enough time to repent. But now, sure enough, he shows up eight days later and says, all right, here I am. Go ahead. Put your finger in my hands. Touch my side and feel the injury from that spear. Go ahead. Let's see just how important you really are. Did Thomas do this? We don't have that recorded. And I think that this is intentional by John to say that Thomas would not even dare to touch his hands or touch his side when Jesus showed up and confronted him over this. This was a confrontation. This was a conflict. All right, Thomas, I gave you some time to think about it. I guess you have now noticed that you are not as important as you thought you were to demand that I just appear right away. Oh, gosh, hurry up. Thomas doesn't believe we better do something about it. No. Now, we'll give you a week to think about this. 
And then he arrived. And he confronted Thomas over this. And he said, go ahead. Here you are. Let's see what you're made of. But Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And because it does not say that he touched Jesus's hands inside, in this case, I'm going to make the assumption that he didn't do it, that he had enough time to think about his attitude. And so by the time Jesus showed up, he had repented enough that he would be receptive to just Jesus arriving and he would not demand that his requirements be fulfilled. A demand that was greater than what the other disciples experienced. They didn't necessarily touch his hand or touch his side. Why should Thomas demand this extra thing? So Jesus acknowledges that yes, he is the Lord. And now you guys can figure out that he really is God. He was God manifested in the flesh. He dwelt among them as a man. And he has resurrected. He is no longer God manifested in the flesh. He is now God manifested in the spirit. Now, he was present with them in the form of his flesh. I'm not speaking about this with exact, precise details because I don't think we need to. I think that a general idea about what is going on is what our God wants us to understand and embrace. What is important to recognize here in this case is that Jesus has experienced a change. But this change is to return to being the spiritual being who he was to begin with. And that he is now just manifesting himself in a way that the disciples would be able to recognize him. And they are now able to see him as their God, who he always was. But they did not necessarily believe that with absolute conviction before. But now Thomas makes it clear. He says, my Lord and my God. And then in verse 29, Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That gives the indication that word has been getting out, has been getting around. It has been eight days now. Word has been getting around amongst the people and there were people in the neighborhood, in the land, who were believing that Jesus was alive and that he returned to being the God who he is. And there's Thomas hiding out not believing when there are many other people who are. Who do you think Jesus was revealing himself to, speaking to? Do you think he was on vacation for eight days and then he came back and thought, oh, I guess I better get back to the ministry? No, he was busy. He was at work. He had things to do. He was out there doing those things. And there were other people who were believing in him, even though they had not seen him physically. They believed that he was the Messiah, and that he was eventually going to come back to complete the fulfillment of what they expected the Messiah to do, but he was not doing that quite yet. So there were other people that were believing in Jesus, and by this time he speaks to Thomas and says, listen, you know, there are other people who believe in me, 
right now, they already have believed in me, and you're sitting here in your doubt and in your unbelief. Get over it, Thomas. Just get over it. This is true. This is real. And since these days, there has now been about 2,000 years of people who have believed in Jesus because of the testimony of the disciples and others from this time period. It is a historical fact that can become a spiritual reality in people's lives because when a person believes the truth concerning their condition and God's provision, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within a person to teach them and guide them into all truth, just as Jesus proclaimed. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 127th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, and I spoke about Thomas. For Thomas to say that he was not going to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead unless he puts his hands in Jesus' hands and in his side was a way of Thomas expressing his disappointment that Jesus did not show up when he was there. Jesus showed up when Thomas was out of the room, when he was not there, and Jesus did not wait until Thomas returned. In addition to that, there was a belief concerning the Messiah that Jesus was not going to die, but that he was going to establish the Messianic kingdom. But this hasn't happened. This did not take place. And so when Thomas was expressing his doubt that the disciples saw Jesus and he expressed his requirements of what it would take for him to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, I believe it's better to understand his doubts in the context of his expectations of the Messiah not being fulfilled in the way that he was told, and also to consider that Jesus showed up at a time when he wasn't there. From this perspective, I think you can appreciate a little bit more about Thomas and his concerns, and I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net